Hey everybody, happy Easter. I'm guessing that as you were looking at your calendar back in February, none of you were planning on spending your Easter like this. I know I certainly wasn't. The best way I know how to describe it is when you were a kid and you discovered that the Easter Bunny brought you peeps and you're like, what is this garbage? Yet, after you've run out of the Reese's Cup eggs, you're like, man, might as well... You know, not let this Scotch-Brite sponge go to waste. You know what I'm talking about? And in related news, I found out that Peeps are ironically produced in a town called Bethlehem. So not only was Jesus born there, but apparently so was the devil. Nonetheless, we've found ourselves in a peculiar situation. However, we're going to make the most of it. And on this Easter, we're going to kick off a brand new series of messages called Elephant Eating Ants. Now, before you criticize my title, you should know that this title was taken directly from the pages of Scripture. You've maybe never read this verse, but Proverbs 6.6 6 says this, Take a lesson from the ants, you lazy bones. That's awesome, you lazy bones. Learn from their ways and become wise. Though they have no prince or governor or ruler to make them work, they labor hard all summer, gathering food for the winter. So you've maybe never read that passage, but I anticipate. You see what I did there? Anticipate. I'll give you a moment to catch up. Some of you are still upset and thinking about the peeps, which I know they're frustrating. But even though you've maybe never read that passage about the ants before, I anticipate that you have heard the phrase, the question, how does an ant eat an elephant one bite at a time? Well, there's a similar anecdote to living the Christian life. How does a Christian live by faith? one step at a time. And so what I want us to do over these weeks together is take a lesson from the ants and become wise. And nobody forces them to work hard and nobody is forcing you to live for God. But when you do, you'll be able to accomplish far more than you even thought or imagined. Kind of like how an ant can eat an elephant. So if you have your Bible, go ahead and grab it. Meet me in Hebrews chapter 13. If you're watching on the online platform, you can click on the link there in the top right corner for the Bible app. Or if you're on our website, you can download the sermon notes and follow along in there. But we have here in Hebrews the story of Easter and the result of Easter more accurately spelled out. It says... Now may the God of peace, who brought up from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, and ratified an eternal covenant with his blood. There it is. That's the story of Easter. Jesus raised from the dead and an eternal covenant ratified with his blood. It says, may this God of peace, who wrote that story of Easter, may he equip you with all you need for doing his will. May he produce in you, through the power of Jesus Christ, every good thing that is pleasing to him. All glory to him forever and ever. Amen. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for this Easter that we're spending in a way that's probably unique to any other Easter we've ever spent. But we are mindful of what was accomplished by your son Jesus on that cross. 
And moreover, we are mindful that He rose from the dead. And He's conquered both sin and death. And He's given us a way to live forever. And this eternal covenant has been ratified with His blood so that we can spend an eternity with you in heaven. God, just do what only you can do and help encourage us in this time, help speak to us, use this platform to spread your gospel in unparalleled ways. God, we're praying for revival. We're praying for more and more people to come to know you. We ask you again to help us as we learn about you to uh, end our time together one step closer to your son Jesus, made more like him. We ask all this through faith in Jesus. Amen. In 2006, I was hired by Tabor College to be their assistant women's basketball coach and financial aid representative. With regards to the financial aid job, it's not the most exciting or interesting career in the world. Uh, However, my boss was awesome, so I probably had more fun doing it than what other people do. But uh, in the world of financial aid, there is a form called the FAFSA. It is the Free Application for Federal Student Aid, and it's the government's way of deciding who does and who doesn't qualify for the grants and loans that they're offering. Uh, Many of you probably remember the hours of your life that you'll never get back from filling out the FAFSA. It takes into account a number of different factors, things like your parents' income, if you're a dependent student, or your household size. Uh, if you're an independent student, it takes into your uh, takes into account your income. But then an algorithm determines what federal aid you qualify for. Sounds fascinating, I know. But I'm over a decade removed from that job, and I saw literally hundreds and hundreds of student forms, yet I can distinctly remember one student's form in particular, and I remember her name because she was from New Mexico, and on her form it said her dad's job was shepherd. Which, how many shepherds do you know? My point Exactly. I can remember seeing her fast perform and thinking, Shepherd, what in the world? People still do that? Not a lot. According to the Wall Street Journal, there are only about 1,500 shepherds in the U.S. Most of them are migrant workers from other countries, and it's not the most glamorous job in the world. I would argue most children in the U.S., at least, do not grow up dreaming about becoming a shepherd. I've worked in the public school system for a number of years, and never on career day had I have a single kid say that I dream of becoming a shepherd one day. Plus, I looked into it, and there's not a single college or university that offers a degree program in shepherding. Matter of fact, I even looked on Shepherd's University website, and they didn't mention a single thing about sheep or shepherding, which I found rather misleading. Shepherd University. But if you're a young entrepreneur, shepherding might be worth looking into because in last year in the U.S. alone, over $2 billion was accounted for in our economy from wool. Wool accounted for over $2 billion. If you add meat and milk into that mix, that number jumps to nearly $6 billion. Furthermore, sheep are not a super expensive venture to get into. 
They don't need as much acreage as cows do, and I'm told the profit margins are also much better than other livestock. One article I read said that uh, sheep farmers can live on a herd of 80 sheep alone, like no other farming required. That being said, I bring all of this to your attention because, of course, the Bible frequently compares us to sheep, and the text we just read is an example of that. It says, Jesus is the great shepherd of the sheep, and what I find particularly compelling when it comes to sheep is if you take any other domestic animal, say cats or dogs or horses, and you let them loose, they'll do one of two things. They'll either go out and live in the wild, or else they'll find their way home, like Michael J. Fox did in Homeward Bound. And sheep can't do either. They are too helpless to forage for themselves or defend themselves in the wild, and they have no sense of direction, so they can't find their way back home if they're lost. In other words, sheep can't be their own shepherd. Sheep will die without a shepherd. So write this down if you're taking notes. A life without a shepherd is a life without direction. A life without a shepherd is a life without direction. See, Easter isn't just good news because Jesus rose from the dead and made a way for us to live forever. Easter is good news because Jesus can lead you through death and life alike. Easter is good news because our shepherd has been where nobody else has. He's seen death and he's defeated its permanency. It's been said you can't take people somewhere where you haven't been yourself. And the fact is, Jesus has seen life and Jesus has seen death and he can guide you through either. In addition to that, Jesus was beaten and mocked and tortured and betrayed and ridiculed and falsely accused and whatever else you've been through. Matter of fact, the author of Hebrews earlier in this book tells us that Jesus has gone through everything you've gone through and he's been tempted in every way that you've been tempted and yet he's remained without sin. Here it is. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. So not only can Jesus relate to everything it is that you're going through, but he can also lead you through it because he's been there and done that. It would be one thing for the Bible to describe Jesus as merely being empathetic. It's something entirely different to know that he's actually lived it. And when you read in your Bible about you being sheep and Jesus being a shepherd, don't just rush past that as metaphorical language. It certainly is, but it's also so much more. It's a picture of the God of the universe taking time to come down and walk with you through whatever it is you're going through. It's a real description of God coming alongside you and saying, you don't want to go that way. Uh, you, you don't want to follow along this path. You need to follow me. I'll take you where you need to go. You need to trust me. It's why we need to be human Easter sheep this year. We need to follow the shepherd of our souls. Plus, I'd like to point out that when you hear pastors or Christians talk about Easter and salvation and forgiveness and following Jesus, what they're really talking about is surrendering your path 
for gods. They're talking about coming to the understanding that your way leads to death, which is why you need a shepherd. The message of the Bible is not, you have to figure out where you're going so that God will love you. No, the message of the Bible is you don't need to know where you're going. You just need to follow the one who does. Here's how Jesus himself describes it. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. And watch this. No one will snatch them out of my hand. I don't know about you, but I find that rather comforting. That I'm going to live forever and that no one can snatch me out of the clutches of the God of the universe. To that point, There are two equal and opposite mistakes you can make when it comes to shepherding. One great danger is what I call own shepherding. Being your own shepherd, you're not accountable to anybody. You don't let anybody into your life. You haven't given anybody permission to speak into your life and challenge you on things. And you don't let anybody have the right to tell you how to live. I call that being your own shepherd own shepherding. It's dangerous. It doesn't work. At some point, you'll come to realize that the only common denominator within every bad decision you've ever made was you. Now, don't misunderstand me. I know that there are some evil, wicked, horrible, deplorable things that have happened in your life. But what I'm trying to help you understand is if you try to walk through those things yourself, if you try to be your own shepherd then you'll never make it through to the other side. You can't fix you. That's why Jesus had to come to the earth. That's why you should follow him. On the other hand, there's other shepherding. There is own shepherding and there is other shepherding. Other shepherding is when you seek out other human beings in an unhealthy way. And so you look for somebody else to be the great shepherd of your life, some other human relationship, someone that that you can find that will come into your life and fix everything and make it all right, whether that be a parent or a child or a spouse or a boyfriend or a girlfriend or some other friend that you have. But if you look to any other human being and say, because this person loves me, I have meaning in Life, Or if you say, because this person doesn't love me, I now have purpose in my life. Like, I'm going to do whatever I can to show them that I'm worth something and I have value. That's my purpose to prove them wrong. In both cases, you have made somebody else the shepherd of your soul. In both scenarios, you're permitting other people to take you down the path of life. You're letting someone else dictate the decision on where you want to go. And it's either going to ruin you or ruin them. Because if they can't lead themselves, what makes you think they're going to be able to lead you? Have you thought about that before? Everybody is following somebody. So you better make sure whoever you're following, they're following someone who will take you where you want to go. So here's the thing. If you can be honest with yourself, which I'm not pretending that's going to be easy, but if you can be honest with yourself, you'll come to realize that every time you've ever fallen short and every time you've ever done something you regret, every time was a result of one of those two things, either own shepherding or other shepherding, either following your gut 
or following somebody else. Now, don't mistake what I'm saying. I'm not saying you can never follow people. In fact, the Bible makes it clear that as a pastor, I'm also a shepherd, and I'm responsible, and I'm going to be held to a higher uh, judgment standard than other people on taking the church where God wants to take it. And so it's not, don't follow anybody. It's make sure that that person is truly following the great shepherd. Because a life without a shepherd is a life without direction. And Jesus is the only one capable of handling your soul's direction. I didn't put this in your notes, but you might want to jot this down. A life with the wrong shepherd is a life with wandering direction. Of course, a life without a shepherd is a life without direction, but a life with the wrong shepherd is a life with wandering direction, and wandering is just as dangerous as having no direction. Yet wandering, meandering, it's the story of American culture. It's why the average American will now have 12 different jobs in their lifetime. It's why over 80% of college students will change their major. It's why over 50% of Americans will have at least one divorce. It's why uh, almost every person in our culture will move 11 different times. They're wandering. We're wandering. We're all looking for something. Our souls are searching for its shepherd. I'll say it this way. Your field of dreams needs a shepherd. Like, that dream that you have in your mind, those things you want to accomplish, you need somebody who can take you where you want to go. It's my contention, the only person that can do that is the man who over 2,000 years ago walked out of a tomb three days after he was pronounced dead by professional executioners. Now, with regards to Jesus taking you to your field of dreams, did you notice that our text asks us to consider to do what pleases God, not necessarily what pleases us? It says, May the God of peace equip you with all you need for doing His will. May He produce in you through the power of Jesus Christ every good thing that's pleasing to Him. In other words, everything you do outside of God's will is under your own power. That's dangerous because God is the only one capable of bringing your life to its full potential. I once heard a pastor say, it's God's work that makes, makes man's work possible. Surely you've realized that by now. Surely you've realized whenever you've accomplished something that you were doing only for yourself, it left you feeling empty. It's why when you got that new iPhone or bought that new vehicle or, or refurbished the house or got your dream house or made the A on the test or finally got the date with that person, it's why none of those things ultimately fulfilled you. It's why a few hours later, you're like, well, is this really all there is? This is a monumentally important distinction to make because uh, the author leads with the God of peace. That's drastically different than the God with peace, right? Uh, we're not looking for a God who has peace. We're following the God of peace, Peace is who he is. And when this God of peace starts working within us, he leads us to a place of fulfillment and joy. How do I know? Well, besides personal experience, our text says the same thing. 
It says the God of peace does two things for us through our great shepherd. First, he equips us for everything good that we need to do his will, which that doesn't mean you'll have everything you need to become rich and famous and healthy and beautiful. It means you'll have everything you need to do his will. If he calls you to do a thing, he will give you the power to do that thing. Our shepherd does not promise to make us rich and powerful and healthy. He promises us to give everything we need to do his will. That's joy. That's drastically different than happiness. Happiness can be taken away. It comes and goes with your feelings. No, joy lasts forever. It comes and stays. Joy can only come from following Jesus. But it goes on to say, our great shepherd has ratified an eternal covenant with God. This is the fulfillment portion of this passage. If you write in your Bible, you might want to circle, star, underline, highlight, whatever you do, that word eternal. It's the Greek word ionios. It's the same word Jesus uses in John 3.16 when he says that you can have eternal life. Literally means continuing forever. Going back to our John 10 passage, Jesus says, I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. He uses this word eternal again when referencing this new covenant the night before he dies at the Last Supper. This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant of my blood. It's the same eternal covenant that the author of Hebrews is talking about. And so it's important for you to come to understand the message of the gospel isn't about us. It's about God working through us. And when God works through us, it leads to our fulfillment and joy. And it happens to be Ionios, eternal. It can never be taken away. So what do we know? We know that Peeps, our spring's version of the candy corn, both are wicked and will lead to death, and the devil gets you to eat them so that you'll hate life. I'm kidding, but seriously, gross. What we should really know is that life without a shepherd is a life without direction. And we know there's a lot of people just wandering through life aimlessly, and we might even be there ourselves. But we should know that the God of the universe has given us a great shepherd and he has made an eternal covenant with us so that we can follow him and find meaning and purpose to our lives. And the question I need you to answer this Easter is how do I really know if I'm following the great shepherd of my life? How do I genuinely know if I'm a human Easter sheep. With regards to becoming an elephant-eating ant and a faithful follower of God, what is the first step I need to take? Well, it's about becoming an acceptor and receiver versus an earner and deserver. Our entire faith hinges on that question. Am I an acceptor and receiver, or am I being an earner and deserver? You see, the reason why nearly 2,000 years ago a group of women came to a tomb and found it empty, the reason why there was nobody to be found was because Jesus wanted to show you it's not about what you could do, it's about what he did. He rose from the dead to show you that he can lead you through life and death and there is nothing you can do to earn his love. 
you just have to accept it. Be honest. Have you accepted and received Christ's invitation to come and follow him? Are you doing the good things that pleases him, or are you still trying to earn it and believe you deserve it because you are a good person? Do you see how earning is a result of other shepherding and deserving arises from own shepherding? I'll earn others' approval, or I'll deserve this because I'm the God of my own life, and I'm my own shepherd. I know where I want to go. No, 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 no. That's not the story of Easter. The story of Easter. Our entire faith hinges upon Jesus raising from the dead and promising you this eternal covenant that you can be made right with God because of what Jesus has done. I pray that you are an acceptor and a receiver. And you can give up following that path of life of earning and deserving. No, find fulfillment. Find joy in resting in the fact that I'm going to follow the great shepherd of my soul. God, to that end, we pray right now. Speak to us in a powerful way. Help our hearts understand the, the message that is Easter. The promise that we are forgiven. All of our sin, past, present, and future, has been paid for on the cross. And because Jesus rose from the dead, he can lead us through whatever it is we're going through in life. We just have to submit to him. We just have to follow him. We have to give up all of our own desires and do what pleases you. God, you're the only one that can help us live up to the potential that you have for our lives. You're the only one that can lead us through our destinies. You're the only one who can accomplish your will here on earth. God, forgive us where we've fallen short. Forgive us where we've been our own shepherd, where we've tried to follow other people's advice and they weren't following you. God, forgive us for all the sin that we have in our lives. Help lead us, direct us. Speak powerfully, God. Use other people to speak into our lives when they're following you. Confirm in us the will that you have. God, I know just in my own life, I'm always like, well, I'll do what you say if you would just say it, God. I know that you work through other people. And so the message that you're trying to say is don't follow anybody. It's follow the people who are following you. Uh, so help us follow you and find people to lead us to you. God, we're perplexed about everything that's happening in the world right now, but we're also trusting that you can do something in and through it. All things work together for good for those that love you or are called according to your purpose. We're praying for good in this season. Help each person have just an amazing Easter wherever they're at. Help us be mindful of everything that you've accomplished. We ask this in Jesus' powerful name. Amen.